have a lot in store. You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Um, you didn't do it. Don't worry about the day. Don't no, no, worry no. about the you day. You have to say, start over again. Do it nicely. Hi. Day two and go. <laughs> it is May 9th. Okay. That is the date, right? Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Tonight is May 9th, 2016, and we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. You see, I thought I could always wind you up and just automatically you can't do you it. would read out. I'm like, the- I'm like the Donald Trump of radio, totally unpredictable. Actually, oh, it's just because I forget because I'm thinking about something else. But we are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, on Future Theater Live, broadcasting from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Sulbury Village, Pennsylvania, with our producer tonight, who is the Jackal, Angela Spino. Say hello, Jackal. Hello, Jackal. And but, our but, but, guest yeah, but wait, tonight. But you have not put Chris on yet. I will put Chris no, on. No, you don't. You see, he's not even on our line yet. Oh, so if Chris is not on the line, how can I introduce him? That's what I'm saying. He is so, you always leave him off, and now Angel has left him off. We'll get him on in a second here. Okay. I love you, baby. There you go. Fun, all right. I miss you, right. baby. See, Chris is how important you are. You get serenaded into the show. Oh, hi, all right. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Hi, hi, Chris. Wait, could you hear that music? Oh, loud and clear. Wow, that's not supposed to be. Well, that actually works. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's been, that's been my number I one Skype you, musical. Baby. Hi, Chris. And Hi, Chris. Chris. Oh. Okay, so, yeah. We, the voice of an angel. I so are just, we actually on the air as we speak? Yes, we are. We've yes. been on the air, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, we've yes, been so, on the air. So, so we didn't do a real take, too. This is, this is the real show. This is the real show. It's been all one take. Yep, all one take. Yeah, so our guest tonight is Bill Puckett. Chris Brown is here tonight, and he's yeah. going to um, ask Bill some questions. Yep. Bill Puckett, Bill Puckett, uh, just, Never mind. just to introduce Bill, he did the radar work uh, on the Stephenville Lights, Bill Puckett was a guest uh, many times on UFO Hunters. He was even in the original pilot for the series that never aired. Was he really? Yeah, Bill. Yeah, the Bill pilot was that, invo- the- that never aired. The pilot that involved what that space of uh, that. Why didn't it air? Like- yeah, what happened? Because I'm trying to find the the political way to say this. The pilot was, I want to say, uh, oddly, drunk. oddly conceived. Oh, okay. The okay. premise of the pilot was, because I was there, I was one of the writers, the premise of the pilot originally was that what it had to demonstrate was that there was a show. And this so was one, the nose hair pilot, was it? Was not? it like was it like a little bit uh, an over uh, hyped zizzle reel kind of? No, 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 no. no. This was a real. This was no, a real sixty-minute pilot. But this is what it is. It's as though the camera was given. I don't know who the photographer was. Bill does, I think. Yeah, I remember him. The camera him. was given to a guy who really wanted to do much more than a typical UFO hunter's show. He wanted to do art. And he did these extreme close-ups of people's nostril hairs. 
And we're talking about old guys here. We're talking that's about why, That's why with Bill, Bill Puckett, the, the joke always with Bill Puckett was it's the ear shot. Oh, my gosh. Because he did really? this close-up on Bill Puckett's ear. Well, isn't that interesting? Because when I was putting the, the page together tonight, and if you folks will go, whenever you're listening to this, to futuretheater.com, you'll find the permanent page that immortalizes our show tonight. And I, you know, I have to choose a photograph. And there was a very nice photograph of Bill on a uh, documentary they're doing, or no, he's on a radio show. It's it's another cut from the one that's on our Future Theater webpage. And I think it's KT something OA. Let me go here. K Como, K-O-M-O, Como 4 News, uh, did a piece on him. And there was another shot I was going to use. And ironically, it was his ear and his, he's got a really pretty profile. And I was going to put that. It was artistic. And I was going to put it up. For that was show. one of the that was one of the shots in the pilot that and that's never what aired. I did. He over. So when you're watching the thing, uh, I believe it was shot at the planetarium. The was it the planetarium up? Oh on no, the no, 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 no. This was no. What what happened for the pilot was the production company rented a studio in Culver City for let's just say the war room for the UFO hunters with lots of screens and flashing lights and all kinds of sets. And then when we wanted to talk to, um, who am I thinking about? He is the, he wrote, he wrote the report on JAL on the Japanese airlines encounter with a UFO. Bruce McAbee? Bruce McAbee, when the time came to interview, to have Bruce McAbee as a guest, then we relocated up to the um, <clears throat> planetarium on Mount Baldy, and that was an incredible scene because it was so yeah. cold. Well, it was so fake, too, because you're going through the mists and Oh, everything. that was, was a great totally shot. Fake. I would have loved to have kept that shot well, we for the show. We actually should make that. Uh, are we allowed to make that pilot available to the general? No, absolutely not. We, well, we don't know. We can give it to Angel, it. can't we? We don't own it. I wouldn't make it available. We don't own it, but we can just kind of lend it. I would no, because it's history. No, history. Yeah, because if it's uh, leaked on the internet, leaked, they're they're going to know exactly where it comes from. Yeah, I mean Walt Disney. Walt Disney owns that pilot. Oh, I'm not messing with Disney, Nancy. No, you're not. No, 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 no. No, No, they own. They're on a roll. Well, they they own the pilot, and 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 is the misnamed Civil War, which I'm sure is that also Disney. Yes, but it, it's a it's full. That's Disney, Disney it, Marvel. It just means uh, it just means that that uh, the Disney Marvel has a number of movies that are competing with each other because they're in release. But yeah, it's crazy. They got the Jungle Book and they got right Captain America. Almost the and same talk time. about yeah. and talk about two monster movies: Jungle Book and Captain America. Captain America is over two hundred million in its first weekend release. And, what and is, this is coming off of Star Wars. In coming December. off of Star Wars to yeah. lead into Rogue One. I, 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 I am. I am. I mean, Disney it's incredible. is awash in green. Well, that's nice. That's nice. Um, you know, I hope they do some good with it. Uh, they are, in fact, you know, creating the mythology See, Disney that runs made Disney, and uh, you have to credit Bob Iger. Um, who's the head of Disney, Disney made some, I'll tell you what their strategic decision was. Disney's strategic decision was to acquire franchise movies. So they acquire um, Steven Spielberg's DreamWorks. They acquire uh, Marvel Comics. They acquire, they work with um, 
they uh, work with Tom Cruise, they acquire these franchise pictures mm-hmm. that are just money generators, and and and, and that's it. I mean, these yep. are purely commercial motion pictures based on franchise heroes. Mm-hmm. Captain uh, Captain America is a great franchise hero, and he's been around for what seventy years now. But never had a franchise series of films like this. I mean, what they're doing with their movies now, it's incredible. I mean, there was one cheesy movie in the 90s, which was terrible. I remember that. It really was weak. Terrible. And some stuff in the 70s, but nothing really major. Like, this is the first real major franchise for the superhero. And it's amazing that a lesser-known superhero like Captain America... Which is, uh, you know, he's so popular here, but he's lesser known than like Superman or Batman. And it's outperforming Batman versus Superman, which is incredibly blowing my mind. Because because there's a growing hunger for this kind of uh, film and people are just becoming fans. And then when, and and it's like a rising tide lifts all ships. And and it's just, you know, the the demand is growing. That that, um, demographic is growing. Well, Well, no, it's not only that. It's the fact that also Disney Marvel are just doing it right. They're doing, you know, what they've set up is a cinematic universe that spans now, you know, 10 years Mm -hmm. and uh, an X amount of films. And so to get to the Civil War, which is where where this movie, you've had to build up from Captain America 1 to the Avengers 1 and 2. There's a buildup of storyline. That's why it's doing so well and fans are reacting like they are because of that buildup. Here's something I wonder about. When all these movies depend 100% on CGI, and you know the progression of the fight scenes. You know, there'll be a fight scene to start, and then there'll be a little bit, and the fight scene builds, and there'll always be the obligatory scene in which we, you know, we regroup and look at all of our weapons and stuff, and then then the fight scenes start, always ending with the 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 veiled homosexual mono mono no 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 just no. just bear with me it it no, it, Nancy, it, it no. has heavy layers of homosexuality when no, you get to the fact not that oh no <laughs> well i'm saying no. heavily i'm saying heavily no. veiled heavily, no, heavily no. veiled no, um, there's no, no, not at all. Okay, but let me get to my question. So put that aside. Let's just say it's mono. It's always kill Jay until they hear that. No, huh? just no. Okay, but my question has <laughs> to do with, no. with CGI. Uh-huh. CGI. How do you determine whether you like something better than something else when it's just simply it's a paint box? And straight lines and brushes. It's not, it, you know, it's not how far. Well, can no, you see, but, but here's the thing: oh. CGI is nice and, and great, but you know, George Lucas actually said something in the '70s, which is mind-boggling compared to what he did with the prequels. But when he first did the original Star Wars films, he had a, a something that he said, which is a fascinating quote, was uh, that you know, when you're making a film, you want to tell the story, make the story the the center point of what you're doing. And the special effects are just the layers to enhance your story, but the story comes first. And that's the most important thing. You know, CGI is great, and it's going to build a beautiful universe, but if you have a weak story like Batman vs. Superman had, then the movie's going to flop and fail like Batman and Superman did. Well, then what makes a strong story versus a weak story, would you say? Well, an engaging story, something that actually makes sense, that is cohesive, that has a good narrative, that goes from the first uh, opening sequence all the way to the end in a proper setup and doesn't like feel like disjointed. That's what, that was the main criticism of Batman vs Superman. Was that's it right? Felt, that was a major criticism. It felt it disjointed. So... It, it felt like it was badly edited together. The story made no sense. Yeah, the characters no and the characters didn't interact properly with each other. It was a complete mis. 
uh, writing of the characters of Superman and Batman. in and out of reality into dream sequences. Well, yeah, the dream sequences were just stupid. I mean, there was some scenes that looked cool, but there's a, it's a dream sequence, so it really doesn't make any sense in the overall right. storyline. Also, right. also, there are story fundamentals that you have to adhere to when you have franchise characters. Correct. So yeah. Superman is well, going to do something. Batman is going to do something. I mean, do, does each franchise... Uh, have its own Bible to which they are, in fact, being very faithful. Well, the comic think? books is the yeah, the comic yeah. books. That's the source material. I mean, that's yeah. look when you when you make a movie like Batman versus Superman. First of all, they've been in comic books uh, aligned as friends and enemies. Uh, they've been cartoons together as, as friends mostly, you know, not, not as much as enemies. But there's been uh, some you know stuff like that before. Uh, but for for a very long time, people have seen them only in that kind of world in the comics and cartoons. You've never seen that on the big screen. So you want to be as close to the source material as possible, and that's one of uh, another major criticism that movie faced was that it wasn't faithful to the source. That feel like the characters kill, that will always get you. If yep. you are not yep. faithful to what the fans know about the characters, you're then done. you're getting a lot of heat. And this is what Marvel is doing so much better is that when they make a film, it feels like that character's coming out from the comic books. Like when you watch a Captain America movie, it really feels like you're watching Captain America, like it's really coming to life. When you watch Iron Man, remember Iron Man wasn't a top tier character before these movies all started to blow up. He was a throwaway character. Iron Man was a nobody for the most part. Nobody read Iron Man comics. I didn't uh, Robert, even know who it was. Robert Downey Jr. completely, completely like took the character and revitalized him and brought him to life. Like never before. I mean, that character was made and reborn because of Robert Downey Jr. and the way it he's portrayed. It almost seems, him. though, that more than more than the mythology, you're actually paying for Robert Downey Jr., who has a heart that just comes through as an. Just actor. with that one character, though, that's the thing. That's what Marvel yeah. did, and they picked. But the thing is, they picked the perfect actor that could really embody the character from the comics. When you read the Iron Man comics and then you see Robert Downey Jr., you're like, "That's Tony Stark." That really yeah. feels like. Okay, Tony well, you Stark. know what? Um, uh, you're you're talking to a person, and this is amazing that we can talk. And I hope you don't fall back in your chair. But I don't think I have ever read a comic book. Well, that doesn't shock me. A lot of women don't read comics. That's, okay, you know, okay, because it's a sad fact. Because you know, I, it's a I've beautiful always, art form. I, you know, I've always liked the concept, but as a writer, writer, as a writer who writes narrative, you know, not comics, not not you know, not comic, it's different. And as a as a writer, I've always felt that. Um, well, on the other hand, there are writers who are exquisite. But they are comics, um, and one is a woman who does a comic strip called. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. You know, have you ever seen all the things as a meme? Let's like let's burn all the things, and you see this woman kind of like or this cartoon kind of holding up two like pom poms or something. All the things. Does that ring any bells? No. If you look up say. all the things meme, anyway, Al, I'm trying to think of that particular writer. She, I'll just look her up as we speak. She is. Well worth reading. She is a person who has suffered, actually, after being one of the funniest comics on the web, suffered from depression. So if you just look up all the things uh, meme, you'll see her name and everything. And I is she a stand-up comic? Or no, is she... she's a, a, she is a, a, a writer. The comic um, book writer, not a, not a stand-up comic. <laughs> Yeah, she's a she's a she's a well. There's the oatmeal. There's a few website comics. This is a website comic called. The minute I find it, um, your uh, hyperbole and a half. That's the name of the website. Hyperbole and a half. Um, 
and already that kind of cuts off people who don't know what it, it does. I was just going to say that that is not that but is not. Look, Tom just the, Tom just said that saying, uh, some old men don't either. Angel, well, he said angle, but I'm sure he meant angel. And I'm pretty sure he's talking about uh, reading comics. You know, most a lot of women don't read comics. Yeah, some old men don't read comics. But here's the thing: some old men do read comics. Yeah. Well, but do you also read uh, long form stuff? Of course you do, right? Yeah, no, I read I read yeah. books, comics. I yeah. mean, I'm a big reader. I'm always reading exactly. something or other. Yeah. And it's all the same. But anyway, hyperbole and a half. And her name is Allie something. What is her name? Allie something. She's a wonderful writer. I don't care that there are comics involved. Great writing is great writing. And I guess you find that with the comics that you love. Or do you love the comics that you love for the actual way that they're drawn? Is it more that or more the words? Well, no. To me, it's more story-like. For example, Captain America, actually, funny enough, is my favorite Marvel superhero. Um, just because when I was a kid, I, I loved what he stood for. I loved you know, the morality in the mm-hmm. character. So I, I actually grew up as a Captain America fan, which is funny. That's the movie that's out this week. But I was never much into Iron Man or even Spider-Man. I was a big fan of Spider-Man uh, growing up. Black Panther, I liked a lot. You know, the last uh, 10, 15 years, I thought he was a really cool character. And they're bringing him now into... The, finally to the cinematic universe uh, but funny enough you know it was really more like the character itself and what Captain America meant to the mm-hmm. overall not comic book genre but to the world in itself which would be you know that's to me it's always cool to, to look at these characters they're make believe they're not realistic characters but it always makes you wonder like what would it be if we really had somebody like that in the world that could really bring that kind of truth and justice to the world well that's alternatively that right alternatively what ha- do you find that it helps you in real life? You're not at all. You know, it just helps me pass the time. It's a good read. No, no, no. But what I'm saying <laughs> is, let's say you're um, having a crisis at work or something. Do you feel that you've learned some lessons and have learned to hold your temper or some what, all that? No, stuff? No, no. Karate. Be righteous. Years ago. No, 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 no. Martial arts did that for me when I was a kid. No. Yeah. Well, well, it taught you to hold your temper and yep. Well so so let's get back to Bill Puckett. What did he do on this first UFO Hunters uh, he was I the. Sure, uh, I'm uh, sure he wasn't reading comics. That's for sure. No, he was the radar <laughs> guy. That uh, 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 that's what he did. I mean, he could. And interpret, what do you mean? He was the radar. A, a radar guy is somebody who can interpret the uh, symbols and the vectors on a radar screen. Did you have a specific case in mind to bring to him for that first show? We talked about a few cases. One of the cases we talked about was the RB47 case, and I don't know if he's up on that case for tonight, and but, refresh but that is one of us? the best radar-based cases. RB47 <clears throat> was a 1950s case. It took place... Um, the RB-47 aircraft was actually a B-47 bomber. This was the one that preceded the B-52. A B-47 bomber that was outfitted with electronic counterintelligence and counter-electronic warfare devices. So this was an electronic warfare plane. That was its function. <clears throat> it would... Uh, 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 gather electronic signals. It could pinpoint where the enemy was. It could basically throw signals out there. And it was the most advanced um, electronic warfare, ECW plane, in the sky at the time. And as it was coming over the Gulf of Mexico, uh, across the southern tier of the United States, across Mississippi, it's about 52, 53, I'm not sure of the year, the RB-47 case. We did it on UFO Hunters. It encountered a strange image 
on its radar. And it was a radar image on the starboard side of the aircraft. And the radar operators, and there was radar through the entire plane. There were many different radar um, screens. They could not pinpoint what the nature of this uh, object, I'm going to call it an object, was. And the object was then confirmed by ground radar. Mm -hmm. But then almost like miraculously, the object disappeared from the starboard side of the aircraft and jumped over to the port side of the aircraft. So now it's on the left side of the aircraft and it's picked up on the machine. Then it disappears. So what they try to do is they try to get the active radar to skin point to skin, I'm sorry, skin paint skin this paint. object, which means bounce radar off it. And sure enough, they did, and then they couldn't do it anymore. You mean just like sonar? So the object, yeah, so the object suddenly is appearing and disappearing, and no craft can do that. It's like it had a cloaking device. Then suddenly it's crossing the plane's path, and they physically see the object as this bright, bright oval sitting right in front of the cockpit. Now, everybody sees this. The pilots see this. The crew sees this. And it's also picked up by ground radar, which is tracking the object as well, and then it breaks off and disappears. And now this has been one of these cases that has been debunked, that's been undebunked. The debunkers were debunked. And this case was so important that probably one of the greatest UFO scholars – Dr. James, uh, Professor James McDonald, uh, he included it in his major cases, and that's one of the cases we investigated on UFO hunters. That's cool. Yeah. And what does RB stand for? Do you know? Um, RB is reconnaissance B forty seven. And what does the B? The, the B, B is a bomber. Bomber reconnaissance bomber. Okay. So an wow. F four Phantom yeah. is a fighter. It's a Phantom jet. A B fifty two. You know is- we. Uh, we're, we're exploring w- ways of kind of cutting the cord, if you will. And one of the ways is nowadays you can get your, you can get YouTube, our friendly YouTube from the computer onto your big screen monitor, your TV monitor in various ways. And one way is through Roku and another way is through TiVo, if you have either of those services. And so we, we watched last night a YouTube. Um, it was a TED speech. Uh, given by a woman named Tabitha, whose last name escapes me, but nonetheless, it, this is about that weird star that the Art Bell people are calling right. uh, Tabby Star. And this is the star that has some kind of flickering motion going on. And um, I mean, Art's talked about it. Heather's talked about it. We've talked about it. Right. And and why did I bring it up? I, I was going to relate it to um, the RB, the, the reconnaissance bomb. Right, because this is something that we're... But uh, when when there's data to yeah, that's the whole point. It's data, the visual or the or the uh, anecdotal. No offense to you. And see, Chris, Chris, the only data he's got, and he in fact presented his whole case to Bill Puckett. And um, we want to, we can talk about that. Yeah, definitely, Chris. Yeah. That's fact, that's we should do important. That. Yeah, I sent him, matter of fact, I sent him my yeah. drawings when I first because when the MUFON people told me to get copies of my drawings. And so I did, and he was the very first person I was referred to, I think, outside of Davenport. It was those two. And so right. I, I went and got a hold of – I actually talked to, to Bill on the phone, and 
was very emotional. So anyway, yeah, it's going to be very fun to talk to him. Yeah, we'll talk tonight about that for sure. Right. And then how soon, how raw was it when you talked to him? How soon after the sighting? Uh, months, just probably two months, three months. Now, you must have been a crazy man because this has been how it's been how long now, and you're not going on four years now. Yeah. And oh, you're he, no must have, yeah, he, he must have been talking like a mile a minute telling the story. Yeah. Oh, it was it was crazy. He, he probably was like so happy. I never called him back after that. Or like, <laughs> uh, except when would when did we first make contact? When did you first make contact, Chris, with either Angel, myself, or? Angel and myself. Well, started actually a while back. It, it was technically, it's been two years, I guess, two and a half almost with, with the Angel thing now maybe yeah. that I went on Skywatchers. But I had went and been going into your chat because, well, as Bill knows, I had been scouting Bill around because he was the only guy I knew. Him and the European guy, Nick Pope. He was right? stalking the show. I was. <laughs> I was. Stalking, stalking in the correct way. You know, uh, to get, your, to get your I, story. It was like I knew who I had to get a hold of because it was the UFO Hunters was the only thing that was going at the oh, time. Wait, 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 wait. Speaking of famous, Bill's just been signed up. This I've never heard oh, of Oh, yeah, this, is, this, this was very funny. Yeah. Um, I, the um, I did three seasons of NASA's Unexplained Files on Discovery yeah. Science. So um, the production company was just uh, recommissioned for a fourth season. So I'm shooting that fourth season this month. I don't know where, but I'm shooting nice. it this month. Right. So then um, – so we were kind of trading storylines back and forth. And so I, I really suggested to them because I think this is important – that one of the things we should talk about is the boiling sands on Mars, the sands that are erupting from the surface of Mars and then spilling down these uh, these inclines. Because for me, that really is an indicator that, boy, I mean, if there's even a little water under the surface, because, see, there's no atmosphere on Mars because it was all right. blown away by right, the... Right. Uh, yeah, but ironically, Chris sent the most amazing... Well, there's an atmosphere, but it's a very thin about atmosphere, tonight. Bill. Yes, right. I did. I had sent because that in there. Magneto, yeah, uh, magnetosphere. Chris you were going to say that, he sent the most amazing tidbit that we could talk about tonight if we needed to. So Chris, Which is? It's amazing. Um it's uh, go ahead, Chris. Say what it well, is. Well, what it is is that the scientists have 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 detected. So let me get my uh, link that I have going here. These uh, oxygen levels, a uh, small amount of oxygen levels on the planet on the red planet Mars, and so this is huge. Ooh. This is uh, what I have gone down where I believe that they have been seeding um, <laughs> with the rover Mars has been going there and purposely going by water. Because if what's fine, if they do show us later on down years down the road where trees and all that or whatever they found of growing, well, let's see if it's all by the water. And uh, let's see that if maybe this Mars rover, since it's been there, has been not just taking pictures, but has been planning things. Well, and, you know, so, one of the things is, Chris, that pot. they actually <laughs> made <laughs> question came up what, what you just raised planet pot is up. mars yeah i mean it remember came... they found marijuana you guys were talking on skywatchers yep they found marijuana on a meteorite right or something came or mars. thc yep. thc god on a meteorite a planet made of thc talk about being oh, high in the universe he but heaven. the, the um yeah maybe that's heaven no but one of the things that nasa the jpl actually said they were worried about and take great steps to avoid is they believe that the two Martian rovers may have Earth bacteria on them, so they're keeping them away from any potential 
source of water or source of light because because they don't want to contaminate Mars with Earth bacteria the way Mars contaminated yeah, Earth they, with Martian not? bacteria. It's, it's insane to think that it wouldn't. Yeah. No, and honestly, at this point, if you want to, like, terraform that planet, that would be a way of doing it, start introducing Earth bacteria to that planet one way or right. the other. Of mm-hmm. course. That's the yeah. way to do it. So that's finish, the way we up, were populated. Correct. But, hey. but finish mm-hmm. up the NASA season five. <clears throat> What happened, Nancy? Oh, oh, so what happened was, yeah, what happened was, so we were trading stories back and forth, and I wanted to do something about the three Earths, that discovery about those three Earth-like planets around uh-huh. this star, uh, the boiling sands on Mars. There is a new gene splicing, genes um, uh, kind of science called CRISPR that I really wanted to talk about because that's going to turn humans into kind of uh, like um, – cybernetic androids and so i really wanted to talk All about right, the things and oh. so the next email i get back is kind of guess what you're also doing season five because discovery wanted to do two seasons at once so i'm shooting Good season times. five on, right. on um on uh, now discovery. do they pay you twice for that or do they pay you for one long shoot no I think it'll twice. probably be being paid for one long shoot no yeah, yeah, yeah that's how they yeah, think i figured yeah well, at least they're paying right. some. But more money, more, more, <laughs> more money, money, more money. Yeah, exactly. You need to make money. And, you know, so, yeah, we're, we're – um, I'm busy um, – just before we get to our break here, I'm busy uh, reconditioning the website for Shadow Loan Press. I'm about three-quarters done now. I've only got three more sections to do of books, and I'm just populating the whole thing with all the books we've done, and it's shocking how many books we've done um, with many, many bestsellers and lots of fun celebrity books. So it's going to be fun kind of reconditioning that site, allowing people to buy autographed copies of some of those books if they want because we have them. So might as well try to sell them and stuff. And, um, you know, just feeling like it's May and I'm having and – I, and I apologize to anybody I owe a Skype message to, an email, a Facebook thing, a Twitter thing. I have had spring fever Really bad. By the, way, outside, huh? by the way, Nancy, by the mm. way, mm. happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. Happy Mother's Day, Nancy. I had a wonderful Mother's Day. It was Day. a great Mother's Day. And you know, Day. the funny thing is, Attack um, of the children. I have two mm. natural-born children and two stepchildren, and so I'm a wicked stepmother as well as a mother. And I heard from some of my kids, and I basically hear from them always in totally different ways. So today... I had a Facebook thing with my daughter and FaceTime, whatever FaceTime. Yeah, it's (laughs) so hard to learn to use this stuff. And I'm so bitter about the fact that the first time visual, uh, uh, not radio, visual, it's not uh, visual video, video phones comes into being is when I'm old. I could have killed this when I was young. I don't want people seeing my face now. My face is not the best part of me. So it's you should wear funky. your Guy Fawkes mask. But the, but the point you is, go. you know, but I mean, if I were a youngin, but it, I've wanted this as long as, as there's been television. You know, we've always dreamt of this. But I, I never thought I'd be old when it comes, and I kind of also have a hard time learning to use it. And that's be, but I had my daughter laughing hysterically. I, and so it turns out, and that's because I put the headphones on that I'm wearing right now, and turned on the TV screen. The FaceTime was show, you know, showing me, and the headphones have a sock 
on them and you know wrapped up yeah the pink sock right right because we have small heads because they're the headphones are huge on my head and so there's a pink sock with it looks like a little fez i have a little star on it and she cool well she started laughing uncontrollably because we have not been facing each we haven't been facetiming she lives on the other coast and we haven't really she hasn't realized perhaps that i've slipped further down the down the tube of crazy because (laughs) so crazy and you know suddenly you realize your mother who seems sane is doing this stuff and so yeah we're not going to turn the uh the tv on the radio so fast but it's in the future surely uh, a year or two from now we're going to be pressured to do what what's the thing called chris what is that thing called that you do uh, video the chat. video, the video yeah. chat, yeah. Video chat. No, no, no. Yeah, FaceTime. FaceTime. No, no, no. no. What is the website you sent me to? Oh, on Von uh, VonLive.com. Von, yeah. the worst title name. The minute he has to change the name. Yeah, it's, it goes by his last name is Von. So. Well, nobody can remember Von. It means exactly. it doesn't mean video. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna have to come up with something. Anyway, it's a brilliant. Well, idea. there's a lot of other sites to go on besides his too. So. Yeah, because Angel keeps saying one, and it's like voodoo or something. Voodoo. 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 Love it. And as much fun as we're having, it is the bottom of the hour, and we will have to take a break for some messages and come back with our guest, Bill Puckett. So, thank you. Folks, for staying with us, please stay with us because Bill's going to be back on. He's going to talk to Chris about Chris Brown's sighting. He's going to talk to us about Nephi Utah and Stephen Villites. No, Nephi. We're going to ask him about Uvu. Also, see if he knows about Uvu. Uvu. So, we are your co-host, Bill. That's me and Nancy Burns on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio saying we are back. Roswell. With our guest Whoever. Bill Puckett, right after these messages. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban fella. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. And we are back with our guest, Bill Puckett, on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Um, thank you, Bill, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Long time no speak. It's good to be here, Bill, and appreciate the invitation. Uh, quite a few years ago, we worked together on the UFO Hunter series, and that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot and did a lot of research and Hi, Bill. lots of good people. Hi. Hi, this is Nancy. Hi, this is Nancy, your co or my co-host. Do you remember my wife, what? Nancy. Do you, remember, you guys might have spoken. No, I'm just asking, do you remember what cases you were working on with UFO hunters? I worked on a number of older cases. Actually, one of them was a uh, pretty good uh, radar visual case at Edwards Air Force Base in 1965. Ah, the very famous, famous um, we almost launched – well, we actually had fighters on the runway ready to go. Um, that was an incredible case right. because yeah, nobody, I, nobody knew what it was. And um, and what year again? I missed – 65, year? right? Yeah, 19, I believe that was 1965 where they had returns on several independent military radars. And, and the ironic thing about that case is the Condon report – course which came out to 1969 that was probably one of the best radar visual reports that the air force ever had and it wasn't even on the condon report they had like 35 to 40 reports in a condon report that particular case wasn't even in there and the fascinating thing about that case was that it wasn't just Edwards Air Force radar or other, well, uh, uh, the Los Angeles Air Force Base went on alert. It wasn't just that. There were reports from civil air control uh, facilities that seen the same things. And there were a lot of visual reports on the ground, and then they did scramble at one jet up there late, you know, early in the morning hours. And, and uh, the official explanation was either Jupiter or a weather balloon. Well, number one, I mean, your Jupiter isn't going to show up with all the radar returns and people aren't going to be seeing all that strange lights all night long. And then the weather balloon, there was a weather balloon launch. It was launched like 5 a.m., which is about the time when the sightings had subsided. So, the official Blue Book explanation is something short of ludicrous. Well, yeah, and, and, and the thing that was so strange about it, at least one of the things that struck me about that particular case was that nobody could figure – I mean, 
this is the United States Air Force, and these are the guys that in the event of attack across the Bering Straits, you know, they would muster every interceptor they had, nuclear-tipped uh, air-to-air missiles, by the way. But they couldn't figure out what to do. I mean, when you when we spoke to the radar operators, and these were basically sergeants, right? They were basically bouncing phone calls back and forth, and there was a group of people who were saying, oh, no, all you have is a weather inversion. And, of course, the radar operators who knew their machinery knew this was not a radar inversion. Well, I can speak to that a lot. I, yeah. That is a good portion of the research I did for the History Channel on that case. I got all the weather data. And one of their explanations, well, their explanation for the superfluous radar returns was anomalous propagation. Well, th- this is in the Mojave Desert. And, and radar, anomalous radar propagation is highly correlated to moisture. And I... I went in and did an analysis. I used this very same algorithm that the Project Blue Book people did. Or I'm sorry, correction, not the Project Blue Book people, the Condon Report people did to determine anomalous propagation. I found a literal 0% probability of anomalous radar propagation using their own algorithm. And so the, the the chance of that it was literally zero. So I, I thought that was really a compelling case, not even mentioned in the Condon report. It, it wasn't. And, and does it strike you as odd? And this, is, this strikes me as odd. Now, you and I are get kind of both the same age, roughly getting along in years here. I'm and, getting along in years. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and what strikes me as odd about this is that so you have Dean Edward Condon. And the the people who actually wrote the University of Colorado report really suggested that the UFO phenomenon deserves much further study. I mean, they were not true believers. They were scientists. But, but, but they were citing facts that they could not um, describe in conventional ways. Yet Condon himself when he wrote the preface to the report, it's as if the preface to the report had no bearing on the report itself. It was like two separate documents, each of which contradicted the other. Then you realize that Condon, back in the 1930s, was suspected of being a communist agent. Mm. There were so many communist kind of fellow travelers back in the 30s, especially among um, academics and especially among scientists, because they were trading information with their Soviet Union counterparts, just like James McDonald. Were ufologists often painted with that kind of a brush? Well, Here's what the FBI would do. Here's what the government would do. If you had been painted with that brush, the way to redeem yourself was to go along with what they wanted you to do. And the head of the Air Force, one of the major Air Force generals, wrote to Condon a a letter imploring him. And Michael Swords has a copy of this letter uh, imploring him to deep six the whole question of UFOs because the Air Force needed to get out of the UFO business and shut down Blue Book. And that's exactly what Condon did, but Condon owed them. You know, everybody thinks that Trump is impervious to he, – he, 
there's no kryptonite for Trump right now. People are really worried. He's just going and he's growing bigger and bigger. Do you realize he's not been confronted with the UFO situation yet? But Hillary's been uh, asked about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying, what (laughs) I'm saying is it, it defines people many a time and Trump who has, in fact, embraced other conspiracy he's theories. He's never really talked about UFOs, though, which is exactly. funny. Exactly. That's something he's so, never brought up. He's you know, scared we, of it. We, in our, Maybe. Little, yeah. in our little UFO He's scared field, of it. Um, but while, while we're taking this little moment, while I burst in, I wanted to, before we went too much further, kind of get a, uh, um, a, stat, a hierarchy uh, chart. Um, you, William Puckett, have been with the National Weather Service, and also with the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, as a meteorologist. And we're talking about radar a lot of times from military sources. So where in the pecking order would you guys be in the two services that you worked in? Were you getting pure data that was all from your own machinery and your own satellites and stuff? Or do you share stuff with the Army, so forth? Where are you? Where were you in the pecking order? Um, just like to know because of you know if a UFO was had to be sighted. You know. Well, let me speak to, first about my background. I have an advanced degree in atmospheric science, which is really meteorology, and and in my term of of graduate school, you know, I took classes in remote sensing, both satellite and radar. And then when I worked for the National Weather Service, I had further training in in weather radar. And then when I worked in weather modification, which is the first job I had actually outside of graduate school, I ran uh, radar on aircraft in Alaska. And then the following year in South Dakota, I I ran a uh, a five-centimeter enterprise electronics weather radar in Mitchell, South Dakota. So I had some background in radar. I mean, radar is radar. I mean, it's simply photons bouncing off a target going back to the radar. But did you say you worked for a weather modification agency? Or Yes. Yes, I worked for two companies. Uh, we seeded clouds in, in interior Alaska trying to suppress lightning to prevent forest fires. And it was highly dangerous flying. I almost got killed the first day we were flying. Wow. It was a really near accident, but I, I won't talk much about that. But, but wow. uh, you know, I did run the radar to, uh, on the aircraft uh, tracking thunderstorms. Well, do you, believe, the- uh, do you believe in the two big things that I've wondered about a lot, and that's HARP, H-A-A-R-P, and um, uh, chemtrails. chemtrails? Do you believe in other? Well, I, I'm a little bit out. In, in a different area than a lot of ufologists when it comes to some of that. HARP, uh, you know, there, there's been some, some conjecture about it changing the weather. And I, I know Nick Baggage. Uh, I've I talked to him about that. And he's the one that wrote a lot of books on HARP and did research. And there was one incident of HARP where it, it showed a, a weather trough coming down from the northwest and caused an extensive tornado outbreak in the south southern states, Louisiana and Alabama. And I, I saw that, and that, that, you know, you're putting energy in the atmosphere. I mean, just like with global warming is what we're doing. So, I, well, you know, I think HARP is a dangerous project. Now, now as far as chemtrails, I, 
my personal belief on that is that most of those are regular contrails and not, you know, they're, they are modifying the weather. They are dangerous, but not especially in the way that a lot of ufologists think. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they do cause, they've been shown to cause a, a cirrus clouds banks and, and those cirrus cloud banks cause a, a radiation imbalance where the radiation the the ultraviolet radiation comes in from the sun and then the 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 cirrus clouds will will reabsorb that radiation when it when it comes back from the earth the earth is black radiating infrared radiation and then the cirrus clouds will ra- re-radiate that radiation back to earth and and I have a first-hand knowledge of that. I have a first-order weather station, and I measure uh, solar radiation. And you wouldn't believe the amount of solar radiation that comes out of clouds. Well, are it's, you? Are, it's unbelievable, and um, it really is upsetting the radiation balance on the Earth. So, I what I'm okay. speaking to with chemtrails is that they do cause weather modification. Right, but but do you think? Uh, well, for example, I was looking at YouTube as I as I'm one to do, and I don't remember the point of what I was watching. But but within a, a documentary was a, a bit in which Martin Luther King is giving a speech suggesting that chemtrails were were literally um, seeding black neighborhoods with i want to say and i actually wrote it down someplace magnesium something I'll, I'll look it down and the the line he said was magnesium will make you kill your mama i'll find it in a minute but um i don't remember um so do you realize the how okay manganese manganese okay this was um i'm sorry it wasn't martin luther king it was dick gregory Good, wow. because Martin Luther King yeah. is not the okay, person to talk okay. about chemtrails. Okay, that's but, a big difference, Nancy. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm looking for my notes, is I because I didn't know we would come upon this. But this was because of Prince. Um, Prince's song called Dreaming um, talks about chemtrails. And so the YouTube video talks about that. And it talks about why he was interested. And it's that um, Dick Gregory was talking about chemtrails uh, to the State of the Black Union conference. And he was saying that they're heavily shooting, putting mang- manganese, manganese. Uh, and uh, over black neighborhoods, and that manganese will make you will make you kill your mama. Um, and and so there's that. So I do. You, what, what do you think about that level of discourse? Hmm. Well, I can't. I can't comment on on that YouTube video because I haven't viewed it. I do know this. When I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency. I was an air quality specialist, and we measure wet and dry air deposition of all the heavy metals. And I never did see any anomalies that no. resulting from aircraft. Now I'm I'm talking from a scientific angle. I I don't I have never seen any poisoning of our ground as a result of aircraft. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it doesn't occur. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that. With EPA, we we do measure uh, quite a few. We have a fairly dense measuring network of those pollutants. Now, aircraft do pollute. I mean, there there are hydrocarbons and metals and everything coming out the exhaust of aircraft. And so, right. I, I'm I don't 
look at chemtrails from the point of view that a lot of people do that the that the government is intentionally poisoning our atmosphere but i will say that they they are a problem they are a problem in terms of of uh, global warming which in my mind is probably the most serious thing we're facing right now environmentally i know that's not the topic of this program well yeah it's not a topic but but the thing is that from the perspective here's where it's funny how the gears mesh because um one of the things that we've talked about a lot is what has happened to all of the data and there is data and there's a lot of data about ufos that the united states government has not just the the roswell stuff but other and not just the the, the um uh, the um the plains of san augustine and 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 um other crashes but a vast amount of data about anomalous craft and so and some would say that we have recovered crashed ships i mean we did recover the craft at roswell one of the arguments one of the theories is and it's not really a conspiracy theory per se but one of, and i've kind of gotten i i've gotten information about this from an array of sources none of whom are aligned with each other. So they're coming from independent sources that the whole question of not just reverse engineering, but of trying to figure out what the science and technology is behind this stuff has been turned over to a variety of NGOs and defense contractors, let's say like a Northrop Grumman, like a Boeing, like a Lockheed, Yeah, that's right. And so they've been turned over. And so one of the problems that I think John Schusler mentioned to me, among others, is that the need to know restrictions on this are so incredibly restrictive, are so incredibly constrained that people who should be involved in trying to analyze this data aren't because it's it's so containerized. And so among the issues that frustrate some of these scientists is the issue, Bill, that you raised of global warming. That here's a case where our own military in developing the estimates for what are the biggest problems in the world list global warming and the resultant water shortages and climate change as being of national of of rising to the level of national security because that will start wars we're looking at this right now in the middle east this this who's going to get the golan heights israel took it from syria syria wants it back Hezbollah and the Lebanese are fighting over it. And so you've got all these three entities. And of course, there's the whole, there's, uh, uh, there's the whole anomalous biblical source of the Golan Heights is where the Nephilim came down. And so uh, the question is, but that controls the water supply going into the whole Jordan Valley. And so this is not just some kind of arcane discussion. This is like military level nations facing off and what does the United States do? And the question is, global warming isn't an if, it is an is, and it's serious. So you're absolutely right, Bill. Yeah, you know, just 
speak to what Nancy talked about as far as politicians and UFOs, of course, you're aware that John Podesta, which was Bill Clinton's White House chief of staff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, call, arranged a national press conference on UFOs, and now he is heading Hillary Clinton's campaign. And, of course, he has a deep interest in UFOs, so I don't know whether Hillary Clinton will release any of this or not, but, but it, could it, be, is, it, could it is a fact a, that, yeah. that global warming is definitely a security threat, and it's taken very seriously by the Pentagon and by are the there, CIA. Are there worries, like do you have worries personally that the global warming problem could take like a really quick step for the worst or a quick drop or, or you know, in other words, are we, could we be in more trouble than uh, it's a slippery slope and it could happen, but we could really solve it, but who knows? You know, in other words, should we, what do you think? Like how far are we to, from the day after tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate How to far be away from that? <laughs> yeah, better put. Better put. Yeah. I I believe in my own heart, and I've been I've been looking at weather data for forty years that we're in a runaway greenhouse effect right now. Runaway. Run even yes, and even if we stop dump the tons of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases in our atmosphere right now. The earth will continue to warm for a hundred years. The only way out that we're going to save this planet from global warming is through geoengineering. We are not going to be able to do it from reducing greenhouse what gases. Do you mean, what do you mean by geoengineering? Geoengineering, we're going to have to modify the climate. And, what, and okay, you guys are talking about chemtrails. Well, here's where real chemtrails may be needed. One of the theories is to start seeding heavy chemtrails over the poles and restore the ice caps. And that might shift the climate. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is you've got billionaires that want to drill for oil under the ice caps. Oh, my goodness. And they're paying paying all these politicians. And they want want to drill. um, On Belgab, uh, a forum I go to. There was some, people were talking about something else, but they gave a link to a guy, and I have it in my YouTube videos, and so I can find it as we speak. And he's sort of an extreme weather looker. In fact, as I find this, you may say avoid this guy, or you may say, yeah, I like this guy. But he was as he was showing the extreme weather patterns. I think for the fires in Canada, I believe is what he was showing, right? Something right. like that. He he was showing as as. He was showing a type of map in which there was a flicker coming from the pole in which it, the, things were blocked and there was a flicker and you couldn't – so you could get data up to a certain uh, latitude, I guess, which is – which which go the equator? Latitude. Okay, thank you. And – uh, at a certain latitude, you could, and then the flicker starts, and it's like a black. And have you ever heard of this? And I can give you the guy, and as as you answer, have you heard of this North Pole or Pole flicker on radar or you know active weather sites? Yeah, no, no, I haven't. I okay. I can't speak to that. Are Are you talking about? You mean a hole in the data? Is that what you're uh, saying? A blacking, a blacking out of the data. So let's say you add, you know, you hit animate, right? Uh, for a weather map, and you're looking at the clouds. Well, in this case, when it, it, he's basically hitting animate, and he's seeing you're seeing 
all the data of what we were looking at, which was uh, all the little wildfires as they would where they'd start. You could sort of see them coming. You see the smoke coming up. Okay, and but but as you got up to the latitude of the North Pole, you got this black and then clear and then black and black and black. And he was saying that's the, and he just said it in passing, like everybody knows about this. And so I'm finding him now because I subscribed to him. So I'll find him in just a minute. Yeah. And, um, and you will, uh, I don't know. I, I'll, Run away. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I will, I will, and I'll put it out there on the old webby. But, um, and by the way, there's a chat. If you go to PSN radio, You'll see, join a chat, and PSN that's where we put radio.com. Yeah, and also on Facebook, which we never, ever, because I don't, maybe Angel could tell, what's, it, what's your, what's Future Theater site on Facebook called, I wonder? Uh, Future Theater? Yeah, probably. Try that. <laughs> Just go to Facebook, type in Future Theater, you'll get to the Future Theater site. And, Guaranteed. Uh, I, want, I, I wanted to get back to... Um, Bill, so Mitch, it's hard with Facebook because you go to Facebook for business and you're confronted with, oh my goodness, so many generations of upset and misery. <laughs> I right. can't let, deal let it go, Nancy. Let it go. Let it just right. let the, the, the. <laughs> well, let me speak to the data bit. I, sure. I'm not aware of any holes in data, and I, I still look at weather forecast models, and and they they. They dump data twice a day. They do the balloon soundings at 0Z and 12Z Greenwich Meriden time, Greenwich, England. And then they, they dump loads of satellite data. And then they they take all these uh, data points and they put them in these uh, supercomputers back in Suitland, Meriden, and they run these models. And, of course, the, the data points towards the, the Arctic are, are more sparse. I mean – there's not as many balloon soundings up there, so they re- maybe, rely more on satellite maybe. data. But yeah, and you know the the models are are certainly not infallible. I mean they're they're improving models, but uh, as a matter of fact, the U.S. Uh, forecast models aren't quite as accurate as the European models. So we're a little bit behind. But I'm not aware of any data holes per se. Okay. But as far as those forest fires you're talking about. I mean, I live here in southwestern Montana, and it really cooled off today. But a couple of days ago, we had all kinds of smoke down here. I mean, smoke in May, that's kind of unheard of. I mean, in the summertime, that's not unusual here. But having fires that far north at this time of the year is really anomalous. And that, that's definitely beyond the norms of climate, beyond the statistical oh, okay. norms. I, yeah. I found it, found it. The name of the name of the website is Dutch D U T C H S I N S E. Not the website, but that's the name of the subscription. You plug that into YouTube. D U T H Dutch Sense. Dutch Sense. He calls himself. And um, yeah, so the <laughs> one I was the one I was watching is this very current one called Canada Fires near near Alberta Tar Sands. Uh, that was the reason because it sounds like they were getting very close to the Alberta tar sands. And basically, and so it's a kind of a package, it's kind of a slick packaged uh, thing. And I will, I'll cut the sound and, and play it right now. And I'll, maybe I'll get some actual details on what I was calling, uh, the weather, uh, the weather URL, the, the site he was at where there, where this blockage was occurring. And that will help you. Because okay. it was, it looked like a technical. Here it is, um, Next Generation Weather Lab. I believe I don't want to say Caltech, but let's just see. 
something like that. As I get, you know, maybe he puts the uh, the, he puts the lotion in the basket. No. Okay. Weather weather dot cod dot edu sat rad. I'm sure you know that sort of thing. It's the visible satellite weather feed. Right. Right. So maybe you know, hopefully, you know, since that's a legit thing. Uh, but I'll give. I'll put this little. This I'll put this one in our little chat. Folks can uh, follow up and if they're interested, because it's really kind of interesting. And you you might find it interesting too to follow up and have some fun with, and maybe even get back to us once you um, suss this guy out. You know, one of the yeah. things Mitch Batros um, on Earth Changes uh, says is that climate change on planet Earth is consistent with what he's saying is um, climate change throughout the solar system or that the solar system itself is undergoing climate change as the entire celestial bodies pass across the plane uh, at the center of the Milky Way. And so there there are a lot of arguments saying, well, it's really galactic warming or solar system warming, not climate change on Earth per se, but you're right about one thing. When you look at some of the prognostications of some of these scientists regarding the ice caps and regarding things like that and ocean levels and cities on the coasts that aren't really ready for a rise in sea levels, uh, we're already there. Well, that's I true. Mean, the thing about, and I know about the theory about solar system, you know, ubiquitous Warming. Right. That may be true, but but the way I speak to that is we are seeing, we saw more warming in a decade than normally the Earth would see in 10 to 15,000 years. You're, you're seeing climate change on a decade versus millennia. And, and, mm-hmm. and that, that can be statistically validated. I mean, you know, Al Gore's show inconvenient truth for really grew out of a a glorious PowerPoint. I mean they 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 can evaluate the climate through through drilling into ice caps and everything, the concentration of gases in the atmosphere and everything for millennia. And then they can pretty much tell what the climate is. It's not just that the climate's changing, it's the rate of a change. And it's and it's starting to become exponential because it's a self defeating mechanism for example you got the arctic ice cap and they're melting you've got moss in the tundra well when the moss comes out uh, of the starts m- melting from the you know be- being exposed to the atmosphere it's it itself is emitting carbon dioxide through decay because it's been well, in the ice William, cap here, here, here's here's a question that I, that I've encountered from po- folks dealing with climate change um, and it's something that I haven't been able to answer. Maybe you can answer this for me. Uh, what would you say to people that say, well, the climate has been changing for 4.6 billion years. It just always changes and evolves, and it'll keep changing. Even if mankind wasn't here, it'll still go through its changes and evolutions throughout the history of the course of the world. Well, that's right. He's right. Thank you. Or whoever he or she. The climate is never <laughs> static. I mean, it's exactly. either warming... Or cooling, and and that that's that's known. But what what you're seeing now, it, it's not just that the climate's changing; it's how fast it's changing. For example, here in Helena, 
we got weather records going back to 1860. Last year, we set 20 all-time temperature highs. And you're talking about what we meteorologists call 150-year events happening twice a month. That's right. And, and on 150-year events, I mean, that's something like, I mean, it could be rain, it could be snow, it could be temperature, warm or cold. And that is well beyond the statistical norm and normal climate change. Now, granted, you can have upsets, natural geological upsets like heavy volcanism or like the asteroid hit that allegedly wiped out the dinosaurs that can cause drastic climate changes overnight. But you're not seeing that now. You're, in my opinion, you're looking at probably 100% anthropogenic climate change. And I, you know, the statistical models, you know, the, the radiation budget of the atmosphere, the models have been reasonably accurate about that. And in my opinion, I think the only way out of this is through geoengineering. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to be easier said than done. But, but is, is, wouldn't that kind of cause a problem, perhaps, maybe like in what happened in the Matrix, where we tried that to beat the robots and look what happened on, in that planet? It is dangerous. That, that's known. I mean, if, if, you, uh, if, if you don't fine-tune it enough, you could throw us into an ice age. That's yeah, right. It is, it is yeah. dangerous. So, I, I'm not saying it's safe. I'm just saying we're, we're and you're in a runaway greenhouse effect and where you're going to get exponential temperature increases and sea level rises. And, you know, Venus, Venus is just, that's an example of a runaway greenhouse effect. Exactly. That's what I wanted to and bring Mars. up. That This is the whole point about solar system warning. But I That's why to women get, are from Venus, right? Well, but to get <laughs> Makes sense now. But to get to Angel's point, here's where the logic of the folks that are telling you this, that we've had climate change for the hundreds of millions of years, there's been a planet Earth, etc., etc. Here's the difference. Mm-hmm. Human beings are now on this planet as yeah, opposed but, but to – But, Bill, human beings might have been on this planet for no, a no, billion no, no. years. No, 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 no. no. Human beings are on the planet, but human civilization, modern civilization, and I'm saying – Modern civilization dating back to what? The um, let's just say the year zero. Okay, um, there was no year zero. Well, BC. Well, CE right. is the year zero. Okay, so human civilization has only been here for the blink of an eye on this planet. So even though we might have that had we know hundred, of, well. But here's the thing, Bill. Here's the thing. We've carbon dated the Sphinx, the the pyramids, and they're all a lot older than we believe. So we know there's been civilizations here. We just are not aware of them because of whatever extinction might have happened. Right, who've gone extinct. And there's some very interesting folk on the Internet that I'm hoping to get to come on our show that talk about – Antique, I mean, really old, you know. Like Obeki Tempe in Turkey no, and places like No, 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 no. Like- uh, at, at the same time as the dinosaurs. But but just to, just for everyone's sake, I put into the chat and I put into the private chat as well as the um, public chat um, this photo where it captures that blackout portion. This is part of the, the – okay, and, and he seems to be getting this from a – a website called Next Generation Weather Lab at College of DuPage, wherever that is, whatever that is. Illinois. Okay. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so it's some kind of a weather uh, service they provide. And while he's talking, this thing is flashing. He's saying this is just a polar blackout thing. And it's like, what? 
And so, yeah, I just point that out so maybe we can. But the point so I'm looking at a map in that you put in here, but I can't see it big enough. Uh, trying right. To, well, there now I can see it. Okay. And that's a still from the from the video that I was looking at as he was talking about the fires creeping closer to the tar sands field. And again, and that would people be bad. are wondering, Very are people bad. setting the fires on purpose, like with a little laser little beam right to the tar sands, so forth and so on. So, you know, um, je- uh, weather really freaks everybody out because, you know, it, it affects one little tiny twist, one, one, one stepping on one butterfly wing. You feel like... Everything's going to go to well. I mean, help. again, Nancy, we're we're all walking on the surface of this planet, and we're sub, you know we're subject to whatever the weather you know does to us. So, I mean, anything slight changes could be crippling for a city, a, a right. state. Now, when well, we were doing UFO, when we were doing UFO magazine, we did a, an issue um, around the time of you know the incredible storm that hit the Katrina. The, that hurricane is right. mythic in terms of the way it looked. Right. And we, uh, we Charles Osman at the time wrote us a piece saying that it was manufactured, and he could tell you why because he could show you anomalies and stuff. I'll have to go back and look. Well, at I mean, it. yeah, but Katrina. Look, the, the reason Katrina was as bad as it was was because. Because people didn't listen. First of all, that area was, you know, not properly built the way the uh, the levees were built. Uh, just it, it's way too underwater for the way that, that you know, it was all structured. Not only that, people were told ahead of time, "Storm is coming, leave," and people didn't leave. So a lot of stuff that happened during Katrina was no. Just... But the, but the, I'm not even talking about the people part. I'm just talking about the absolute symmetry and horrendous. Uh, I believe the center of that thing was a hexagon, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have to go back. Oh, the actual storm, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, the, the actual, actual storm. storm. But I mean, the the the. the um, but what I wanted to get to, what I what I really want to get to is, um, uh, uh, Bill, you talked about the Nephi Utah case, and I'm wondering because that's not a well publicized case, and I'm wondering if you could kind of present that case and what your role was in that case. Yeah, it's actually pronounced Nephi, I believe. Yeah, Nephi, Utah. Um, I got involved in this case. Actually, I, you know, normally my site, and I'd like to announce it on the air, I encourage people to go to my site, UFOs Northwest. Just put that in Google or www.ufosnw.com and encourage people to report UFOs to my site because I do analyze cases. I don't just post them. I do look into them. But how I got involved in this particular case, I didn't get, I didn't get a firsthand report per se, but, but Erica Lukes, who at the time was director of MUFON for Utah, she has since resigned, plus the assistant state director did. She found out through a, another gentleman who's a uh, ham radio operator. His name is uh, Daniels. I can't think of his first name. Pat Daniels. Pat Pat Daniels. Mm -hmm. And he actually has his own radio show. I actually was Mm -hmm. on his show several years ago. Well, Pat is kind of a hawk with ham radios, and he just got one of these scanners that you can get probably, you know, at any radio shack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Listening one night, and he hears this uh, pilot say uh, radio into uh, air route traffic control. Hey, we see these uh, strange light. Uh, can you uh, do you have this on radar? 
And then the FAA comes back, and apparently he didn't, which is kind of unconventional. The pilot didn't identify himself, the flight, and then they asked that, well, you identify yourself. Of course, there's American Airlines Flight 434 said, uh, no, we don't see anything on radar. And so then a few, about a minute or two later, he radios back and he, he says, uh, well, we're still looking at these lights. And the FAA says, oh, off to your right? Well, how did they know that? They mm. knew it because they saw it on radar. Mm. Well, so to make a long story short, what I first did when, when I talked to Erica, and I've worked with her a little bit before, is I wrote a Freedom of Information request to the FAA for radar data, for all the voice tapes, and for the tower logs. And But we had to do some work, preliminary work before that, because we did not know the exact flight. Pat Daniels, uh, you know, could, didn't identify the, the actual flight. And we went into the air traffic control archives. They keep their voice transmissions on a website for 30 days. We identified the aircraft, and then and then I got the tail number of the aircraft, and then I wrote the Freedom of Information request. So we got voice data, and when I got the voice data, you know, the the second tra- there were two transmissions on there on the tapes, and I have nearly a hundred percent evidence that the transmission a minute before that was redacted. Because when I look at the uh, audio trace, the visual trace of the audio, there's about two seconds of audio, and the rest is deleted. Somebody was talking. So why did they do that? And But anyhow, listen to the voice tape. It, It confirms what Pat Daniels heard that indeed... They radioed back to, to the rare route traffic control in Salt Lake City. You know, we're looking at this light, very large, and then they say, oh, off to your right. And then, right. then they said, well, off to your right also is a town of Nephi, Utah. Well, they had, they had been looking. They said, well, we've been viewing this quite a while. Well, the radar shows that the aircraft was flying to the east-northeast at about 530 knots and at 31,000 feet. And so the thing of it is, when I looked at the radar data, I see the, all these returns right out in the middle of nowhere, 90 nautical miles from the nearest radar, from one radar, 150 nautical miles from the other radar. And I don't exactly know what radars were used, but I believe it was the uh, 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 location north of Salt Lake City. Uh, I'll, I'll have to have, actually. I'm looking at it on my website right now. The and your your listeners can go to my site by UFO Northwest and go to radar radar detection and then scroll down a bit and you'll find the case. But you know the the there were there were two radars, and uh, one radar site was uh, north of Salt Lake City, and the other one is Cedar City radar. And at the range of those returns, right out in the middle of nowhere, those had to be the real deal. 
And there were 106 radar blips in the half-hour period of wow. when, between midnight and 12.30 a.m. And that's total returns. And when I did an animation of those returns, it showed between one and three returns, every rotation of the radar, jumping all over the place, mm-hmm. right in a valley, you know, not, not under any mountaintops or anything. And if I would have seen that alone, the radar, not even counting the voice tapes, that would have right, been right. really powerful evidence. And I've probably looked at, I suppose, two dozen radar visual cases over the years that I've been studying UFOs. And this, in my mind, is the most compelling, incontrovertible radar visual case that I've ever looked at. Well, it reminds me of two cases, the way you describe it. It reminds me of the JAL case that Bruce McAbee talked about, and it reminds me of, RB, of the RB-47 case all the way back from the 1950s. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's been, you know, in the military, I mean, you know, and then the Edwards Air Force case, of course. Oh, the Edwards Air Force case, of course. Previously, uh, you know, really compelling cases. And, you know, all I'm saying is anything that I've personally studied myself, this has probably been, uh, you know, the most compelling case. And, you know, it, it just defies explanation. It, and it's really funny about some of the explanations people come up with, even experienced UFO people. Uh, uh, one person suggested forced slash burns. Well, this is January for Pete's sake. Mm. There's probably two to three feet of snow on these mountaintops, mm. and there was snow in the valley. The Forest Service is not going to be doing slash burning right. in the middle of January, in the middle of the night. And then mm. also... Well, and, 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 the, and the commenter raised a point, well, the smoke would generate radar returns. No, it wouldn't. Well, no and yes. It, number one, I looked at the Doppler weather radar data, too, and the Doppler did not show any returns over the area. And Doppler radar, particularly in clear air mode, which it was because there was no moisture, would really pick up smoke. And there was no Doppler radar returns anywhere close to where these uh, superfluous returns occurred. So... You know that, and in addition to that, uh, Erica Luke's got a log from the Forest Service, and there was no no burning activity involved at that time. And another another thing that people might comment about is, well, it could have been military. Well, I've got a map up there of all the military operations areas in Utah and Nevada, including the Nellis Test Range, which encompasses Area 51. There, there's no military operation areas even close to Nephi, Utah, and they don't they don't go outside those military operations areas, start dropping flares and doing all this stuff. And in addition to that, the radar showed no military aircraft in the area. And if there were military aircraft in the area, the, the, the radar would have showed it. And the Do only military? Yeah. Also, here's a quick cool question, just, uh, just for uh, the point of evidence. If when military craft are flying over American, do they have to have their transponders, or do they have transponders identifying themselves, and are they always on? That's a very good question. 
And I can speak to that and even going all the way back to Stevensville case Good. in 2008. I was going to uh, next. What the military characteristically does, when they, when, when they dispatch a sortie, which can be, I don't know, 6, 8, 12, 12 aircraft, a lot of times the lead sortie turns their transponder on and the rest of them turn them off. That's been my experience. You'll you'll see one track of aircraft. Why, why is that? So I they, do not know. They're they're not supposed to turn them off, but the military does a lot of things they're not supposed to do. For example, you're not supposed to fly over 250 knots below 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. FAA regulation. Military does it all the time. Mm-hmm. I've got other radar visual cases. One up in Washington State that showed an F-15 skyman out of Troutdale Airport east of Portland and at 350 knots, and he was flying towards a UFO, which also was shown on radar. So the military does a lot of stuff that they're not supposed to do, but that's been my experience. A lot of times they will frequently, the lead sortie, he will turn his transponder on and the rest of them won't. But the radar will show them this, the primary, what we call primary returns, which are just what we call skin page aircraft. They'll show those other aircraft and a lot of times they're hard to see because if aircraft are flying close together, if they're a ways away from the, the radar, then you don't see them real well. Well, they learned but that. We did from- in Stevensville. You know, flocks of birds uh, learn to be in each other's tailwinds. So, so what did you? So, so how would you compare the Nephi case with Stephenville? You know, in my opinion, I don't know. They're they're two entirely different cases because this is this is a pilot crew that cited this, whereas in Stephenville you've got numerous ground witnesses, but. In my opinion, the actual location of the targets correlate better with Nephi than they do with Stevensville. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that you've got returns in an isolated area, and I, in my opinion, the Nephi case is a more compelling radar visual case than Stevensville. Of course, of course in Stevensville, what what it wasn't what was seen, what it was what wasn't seen that was the most compelling, and that was that slow-moving aircraft that moved close to the Crawford Ranch. Right. And not only was there one, when I, I mean, of course, I did, actually, that was a, a UFO hunters. That's how I got involved in Stevensville. Sure. UFO hunters. Sure. And, and I found, and I talked to Robert Powell about this, there were other slow-moving aircraft also moving uh, close to Crawford, not just one. There were three or four tracks of aircraft, and, you know, the debunkers said there were high-altitude balloons. Well, high-altitude balloons are are launched uh, generally by NASA from Fort Sumner, eastern New Mexico. They do not fly them in the wintertime because the winds aloft are too strong. And and they don't want them going over populated areas. I actually got a log from Fort Sumner, uh, eastern New Mexico, and it they totally there there were no balloons in the in over Texas in that time period. But but to compare, it, in some sense, we're comparing apples to oranges. But uh, they are two entirely different cases. Uh, 
in in Stevensville, you've got military activity. In Nephi, you don't. In Stevensville, you've got numerous witnesses. In Nephi, you don't. But but in in Nephi, you've got an isolated concentration area returns right where the the UFOs were sighted. Whereas in Stevensville, you've got just lots and lots of returns. I mean, you've got them over the Brownfield military operations area. You've got them outside the Brownfield military operations area. And there was some correlation, a, a visual, uh, you know, radar visual correlation with Stevensville. But also, you know, speaking of Stevensville, there was another wave of sightings. And and I got involved with that with MUFON, too. This was subsequent to my stint with the uh, UFO Hunter series, and that was in October of 2008. Well, there were two nights of sightings, and I did an analysis of that was published in the MUFON Journal. Right, I remember and, that. And where were, the, where, and were the, where were the sightings? They were in the same area, Stevensville, Dublin, Dublin, Hamilton, yeah. uh, you know, all, all in that Iraq County area and uh, near the Brownfield Military Operations Area, and there were military jets going in and out of... Brownfield Military Operations Area, and I I took six individual cases. I, again, there were many many uh, visual reports, and I found some high correlations of uh, reports, uh, radar visual reports, and, mm. and you know there were strange lights. There were the nighttime sightings, and and actually, well, and, and you and through- do you ever check in with Peter Davenport at the same time to see compare and contrast? Um, sightings reports on these incidents? Yeah, sometimes I do, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. you know, Peter, Peter works pretty much by himself, and I do too, but I, I, I do cooperate. You right. Know, with, uh, you know, I've actually done some radar cases for Peter in the past. Uh, and, ha- yeah, have you looked into his passive radar um, uh, PDF? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I don't. I haven't seen Peter in several years because, you know, we both used to live in the Seattle area, and, and of course, I used to see him on a fairly regular basis at that time because we we had regular MUFON meetings and we had meetings at the Metaphysical Library in Capitol Hill, mm, uh, nice. in Seattle, and nice, yeah. so Peter used to attend those. So I used to see him then. But since I moved to Montana five years ago, and he actually moved to Eastern Washington. Right. A couple of years before I did. So, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, uh, you know, w- we did cooperate on some sightings and, and I did, of course, the O'Hare case that actually started through Peter and mm-hmm. I did a lot of work on that. And then another case of a, um, I think that was a Northwestern flight from uh, Milwaukee to Los Angeles. Uh, that was in 2004 of a pilot re, uh, whole crew seeing disc shaped optics out to the head of them. And I did a, I, I got a radar dump for that particular case. And that, that case also uh, came from Peter Davenport. So, so I did, really some. Was there any radar dump available from, from the O'Hare case? Yes. And let me talk about that. Okay. Uh, well, do we have you know, a, break, a break that we need to do? Uh, do we, or should we just continue on through? Because we only have tw- uh, about 20 minutes left. Okay. Yeah, you already oh. went through the break. We'll yeah, we have to okay, we'll go through. Okay, okay so let's talk yeah. about the O'Hare case. Okay, with O'Hare, you know, we, 
it was kind of a good news and bad news situation with O'Hare. The, the problem with, with uh, O'Hare is we asked for radar data, but we didn't ask for all of it. And and that was part of my inexperience at the time, and I wasn't the only one. I mean, there were there were other people that looked at radar for the O'Hare case, and w- what we got was a long range radar, but we didn't we didn't ask for the short range radar, and the short range radar gives you more information because the radar goes around. The short range radars have a range of about sixty nautical miles. And they're what they call the approach radars. So they make about roughly 15 revolutions per minute. And that's necessary because you've got aircraft closer to the runway and you need to know where they're at. Whereas the long-range radars make between uh, generally uh, about five revolutions per minute. So And, and then also with the long-range radar, the way the FAA dumps the data, they give you – to you in a composite format, whereas a short-range radar, you get the actual dump of the radar. So the the aviation radar, uh, and I'm actually looking at the map on my website right now, showed several slow-moving returns to the west of where the UFO was seen. And, of course, the UFO was seen as a shaped craft hovering over a, a United Airlines concourse, and then it shot through this cloud deck blew a round hole in the cloud deck right. and but the 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 radar showed some slow moving returns moving about to the southeast about 40 miles an hour probably i'd say about a mile to the west of where the ufo was seen but we also looked at doppler radar and and the doppler site i believe is about 20 nautical miles to the southwest of of uh, O'Hare Airport, and and they they do that because with weather radar you get what you call ground clutter, because weather radar doesn't filter out stationary targets, whereas aviation radar you have moving target indicator filters out stationary targets. The Doppler radar did show a blip fairly close to where the UFO was seen. Now. The problem with Doppler radar versus aviation radar, the beam width of a Doppler radar is one degree, roughly. So if a UFO flies to that one degree beam width, it'll get picked up or could get picked up. Whereas with aviation radar, the beam width is fairly wide, so it'll pick up all targets. So we did get what I would say a detect on Doppler radar pretty close to where the, where the UFO was located. Temporally and spatially. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't call it a powerful, uh, a, a strong, compelling radar visual, but nonetheless, there's a dot out there. There's one dot, and there's no dots around it. So it says that, you know, it may have very well picked up that object. And, of course, another thing, too, and I mentioned about moving targets, this object was hovering. So Chances are, even if we had the short-range radar, it wouldn't have picked it up because the moving target indicator would have filtered it, whereas the Doppler radar will pick up stationary targets. But here's where the rubber meets the road with O'Hare, maybe not in terms of radar visual, but, you know, you had a lot of visual reports, supposedly photos, although I've never 
actually seen I've never one heard of it. I've never seen the photos and I uh, sort of I sort of remember photos that were disputed during uh, by yeah. David Biedney actually during the during the actual time they they brought in photo experts and the the interestingly enough I think the photo experts went too far in discrediting it um, sometimes you can trip over your own when it in an emerging field like digital photography, and, and it's been emerging a lot even since then. Um, you can kind of make mistakes. It's not you get so much data that you can, uh, and, and and there was stuff flooding onto the internet that was contaminating the data that the guys were using. So it became a real mess in which the baby was perhaps thrown out with the bathwater. So there was a photo and but and that correlates with the actual radar um thing. And that's where you when you get two things like that, an eyewitness, perhaps a photo and radar, now you're you're honing in on what what looks like evidence, right? Right, right. Well allegedly the United Airlines flight that was at I believe Concourse C at the time of the UFO sighting which I believe was on election night, by the way, in 2006. Mm-hmm. Actually, what I've heard is he stuck his head out the window and snapped a photo of this thing, and it was hovering below the clouds. But what I did when I – and I did an extensive analysis with Dick Haynes at NARCAP. We, did, we wrote a technical report on O'Hare, and along with Sam Morato, a MUFON director. Yep. And of course, the Chicago Times article, a lot of people worked together on that. But there was a 10,000-foot cloud deck sitting over O'Hare. And I believe the cloud base is, it was a fairly low deck. I can't remember, probably about 1,000 feet. And and I got satellite data, uh, and actually uh, NARCAP paid for it. And we we showed those cloud tops were at 10,000 feet. It was a solid cloud deck. Mm-hmm. And this object blew a hole right into that cloud deck. Ten, you know, ten thousand feet of cloud mm-hmm. just blew a hole right in it, and then the whole course, the hole filled up. And of course, the the FAA said, "Oh, it was a weather event." Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly created a weather event. Yeah. But for them to say it was a weather event mm-hmm. is just something sort of ridiculous. And I mean, there's I a just, photo, and the photograph is of the hole, if I'm not mistaken. Right. right? That's yeah. what the photograph is. But the thing is that the FAA called it a weather event only after the FAA had denied to the, to the Chicago uh, uh, to the Sun Times right. that anything had happened at all. Because right. when the reporter for the when the travel and and he was a travel reporter, so this was not some UFO hunter type. This was a guy who'd gotten emails from the ground crew from Concourse C from the United Concourse C, basically saying that there was a, a an aircraft, a low aircraft, right over the concourse, which would be a collision alert. So therefore, they would, as a matter of law have to report it. Well, was the cloud bank itself a completely natural event, something that happens frequently or sometimes? The You know, the the, the very precisely 10-foot cloud bank, 10,000 feet? I, I'm not sure your question. Are you asking me that? Is that a normal cloud well, bank? In other words, the cloud bank that the um, UFO shot straight through and punched a hole through was itself, I mean, there are people who say 
that UFOs can manipulate clouds and lenticular clouds are often mistake, you know, covers for aircraft, you know, spaceships. And well, absolutely, <laughs> I've I've had a number of reports from people that see clouds around UFOs, and I I really think that that's atmospheric ionization, and it's causing that uh, you know it can cause. Uh, you know, clouds to form uh, when you're ionizing. And it might it might be trivial for a uh, an interstellar spacecraft to create a little cloud cover. You know, I would think we could almost probably do it ourselves right now. Maybe. Of course, you know, mo- one of my main theories of, of UFO activity is I'm not convinced they're interstellar travelers. I've often thought they're they're parallel universe or higher dimensional craft because I have had so many reports where people will see. A craft actually in going like in and out of a portal, like it'll like gradually disappear. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of them. What you're just talking about, they'll they'll pop out of a cloud, pop back back into. Okay, a cloud. but what about, what about the? Yeah, they could be going in and out of like warp speed or something. Yeah, like but that. Uh, yeah. but guys, what about also UFOs coming from people who live in the in the Earth and people who live under the sea? Yeah, I'm a big believer of that. I'm I, I believe that. that too. I I. I think that, you know, if they're interstellar travelers, they've probably been here a long time. They're not coming in out of our atmosphere all the time. They do already have bases below the ocean, bases below the earth. I mean, I got one of the best photos early in my U of O investigation career. I think it was in March of 2007, right out of, uh, straight south of LA airport, uh, Dana, What's it called? Dana Point. Dana Point. Dana Point, California. And this guy saw this dish-shaped craft flying at jet speed. It just stopped in midair. He shot this beautiful photo of it, and then it just streaked away. And this is, you know, this is an area where UFOs are seeing, you know, coming in and out of the water. Right, right. It, it's the whole Santa Monica tra- It's the whole Santa Monica Bay, which right. is very, very deep, especially around Redondo Beach, right. and it runs all the way out to Catalina Island. And a lot of folks are saying that, uh, in fact, we did two two uh, research expeditions out there, two or three. Anyway, a lot of folks were saying that that is a major base that runs all the way up to Point Doom in Malibu, and then through tunnels to various bases. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, I have had uh, many reports, even from military people, that have seen UFOs come right out of the water, and then they they went through the debriefing process, and, you know, you sign, sign here or you're going to be decommissioned and court-martialed and all this. And, you know, if it was just one person telling me this, I'd say, well, it was, you know, a tall tale. But I, I've heard this. Mm-hmm. Probably from a good dozen military witnesses, yeah. and when they were doing when they were doing atmospheric testing out in the uh, Pacific Ocean, a pro- it was called Project Dominic, and it was actually a classified project. Now you can actually get reports uh, on the website of actual you know what they were doing at Project Dominic. But there there was a lot of UFO activity going on. When Project Dominant was going on, and 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 one of the the ships that was out there, this guy talked about the UFOs they saw coming in and out of the water, and then they they went through this debriefing process. So without a doubt, I I do believe there there are bases on the ground and bases under the ocean. I mean, 
you know, and th- there's been strange bipedal reptoids seen. Uh, uh, one area that they're seen a lot, very remote areas in, in Idaho, uh, there were some uh, mountain bikers uh, in, in uh, Sonora Desert mm. in Texas a couple of years ago that saw a bipedal reptoid walk right across the road. I mean, there's been a lot of those, and, you know, so, and, and those are, you know, quite likely, you know, beings, underground beings. I mean, I, I well, can't it, prove that, but. Yeah, but if you um, study trip reports on the internet, um, people who, t- who drink, I believe, uh, from the cactus would be, even tequila, something as mild as tequila, might see a green, uh, there's a, like a, a green, character who runs through the cactus and people who take a peyote and uh, mushrooms. Green goblin, Nancy. Yeah, there's all kinds of different green creatures. There's the green lady from Absence, right? And so uh, all these substances change, probably change your ability to see other frequencies. And maybe they're, maybe green creatures are one of the easier ones to see, you know, and they're very connected to our green planet. But yeah. So there, because I'm looking at all the. Okay, I'm okay. What got me off on this was you have a category uh, collection on your site, and I'm looking at all the categories that you can explore on your site, and that's what what got me thinking about you know all the different things people have seen and where where is all this coming from? It and, and sometimes I think um, magic mushrooms stuff like that might change a person's ability to see other dimensions. Other wavelengths, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's a possibility. I mean, you know, Good schizophren- time either way, though. Schizophren- <laughs> schizophrenics hallucinate. And True. Th- there, there are some people that actually believe that they're seeing real real things because their, my, their brains are wired differently, and they, they may have different perceptions. Well, yeah. I'm hoping I'm hoping that the people who study um, what, the God molecule, um, uh, Rick you mean, Strauss. You mean the Higgs boson? No, Rick. Higgs, Higgs, no, no, Higgs no. boson. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 not the, the God, God the God particle. Not right. the God particle. The God molecule, Rick Strausman DMT. The God molecule is what the pineal gland makes at the moment of death, basically. That no, no, not only of, the moment of death, also when you're sleeping. When you're dreaming, mm-hmm. um, but but your stomach acids are the biggest thing that keeps it down. So people who fast, say, for a long time, um, they will um, see, have visions. And, and I'm hoping that the people who study schizophrenia will, in fact, look at maybe the pineal gland of schizophrenics is just overshooting stuff out and, and the body isn't, you know. Um, a question for John Liebert. I wonder. But, but yeah, um, but but on the other hand, people who uh, on their own decide to take a substance that you could take DMT in a laboratory setting in some cases um, will report uh, repeatable, uh, verifiable, real creatures, real other places that they seem to to communicate with. People who do ayahuasca often talk about serpents, glittery serpents that guard certain portions of the other underground and and you'll see those same serpents depicted in cave drawings with all the dots ayahuasca yeah, i don't i don't doubt that i okay. you know what i will say though is one of the very first things that i ask witnesses is 
you know, were you drinking, were you using drugs? Right, and, that's a good, like, really and, excellent I, I can't, I mean, I'm taking their word, what right. they tell me, but, you know, I, I, what I'm saying is, though, some of these people, like these mountain bikers, probably weren't high on anything. I, I can't prove that. And, you know, maybe some people are, but I, I know a per, personally, the, the ex-MUFON director for, for re, the state of Idaho got so scared by this sighting uh, up in the remote wilderness of Utah that she not only resigned MUFON, she left the whole doggone state. Wow. Moved down south. I mean, it, it, it just terrified her to the nth degree. And, you know, I mean, I've, uh, I, I get I them feelings. A, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't doubt that psychedelic substances might give you more, more uh, sensory perceptions of things and not per se hallucinations, just mm-hmm. like we talked about with uh, schizophrenia. But, you know, I mean, I, I've had reports from people that are mentally ill, and I found out that they're mentally ill. And, of course. But, of but course. Uh, it no, doesn't mean that mentally ill people can't see real see, exactly. things. Either. Absolutely, absolutely. Did, did, did the uh, mountain bikers um, – one question that I would have is, did the, micro, did the mountain bikers report whether they believed the entity they saw noticed them? I'm trying to scratch my head about the. I didn't receive that case firsthand. Uh, it, it was a second, you know, wasn't directly reported to me. I believe they did. I believe it turned around and looked at them, and uh, it very definitely was a reptoid. Very definitely was bipedal, and and it needless to say, it scared the living crap out of them. Oh, I, mean, I they, can imagine they abor- they aborted their mountain biking trip very quickly. And, exactly. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, I, I, and that's not the first report I've ever had, but, uh, of bipedal reptoids, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't get that report, like I say, firsthand, so I, I didn't get all the information, but from what I understand, it definitely did notice them, and it, it was responsive. You right, know? And, and if they were taking drugs, they wouldn't have reported it because they would that's have expected right. such that's a weird That's exactly thing. right. I it agree would with be just that. just a joke between. Well, you're not going to be, you're not going to be going on a law in a desert. You know, snore desert. Actually, I said Texas. I think that was I. I meant Arizona. If I said Texas, yeah, Sonora is in Arizona. Yeah, in Arizona, and uh, you know, I mean, you're not going to be going out on a mountain bike trek, you know, in a, in a hot sun in in a desert, you know, high on high on mushrooms or LSD or whatever. Although, although I have known folks who have done that, but well, uh, that may be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way, but. Yeah. Yeah, well, we they never were younger. Learned about let's it put it that many, way. Many, many years after, and that's thank you, Mother's Day, when our kids start to tell us the most amazing adventures they've this had. This is true. This when is we true. Just thought we we had have found out the histories children. of our children yeah. that when we were younger at the time, and 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 more Republican than we are now, we would have freaked <laughs> out. But um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Um, so that reptoid creature that is a uh, that is a uh, that is a fascinating story and it's funny how the person from Mufon how she freaked out and she hadn't even seen the creature yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean it was she, she saw a different one in the remote backcountry of of Idaho and uh you know that i i have found in in the nearly 20 years I've been studying UFOs, the best cases 
happen in isolated areas. Sure, where there are no people. Yeah, I mean, I had this case of this PhD retired Forest Service worker, uh, southwest of Olympia, Washington. Uh, he had a coronary bypass surgery a few weeks before, and he drove his his truck up there on a logging road, and he's out for a little stroll. All of a sudden, about 15 feet ahead of him, there's a dish-shaped craft hovering over this uh, road, you know, right ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And this thing, this thing takes off straight up. Something falls off it, hits a tree, bounces around. He never did find it. Shoots straight up at an angle, or straight up, and then shoots way off at a right angle, just gone. And I went up there several years after the fact. He took us where the area was, and I videotaped the area. We didn't find anything, but very remote location. And I had a report about 20 miles north of the Dallas-Fort Worth area where this uh, gentleman was on his uh, father-in-law's farm, and and his nine-year-old daughter, I can't remember, she's around that age, they were driving a tractor, and he had a, his daughter was steering the tractor on his lap. All of a sudden, his daughter screamed, there's this huge dish-shaped craft flying right up ahead of him, kind of hovers, and then shoots straight up, and then bang, a right angle, and gone. And, you know, reports like that, uh, really, another one, this is close to Roswell, Vaughn, New Mexico, truck driver, trucking in the middle of the night, got cars, he's trucking cars, he was, uh, used cars from a, he went to Denver, and the, these, uh, used car dealers bought some used cars from a, a rental company, a Hertz rental car, I believe, was auctioning off cars, and he he pulls off the side of the road about three o'clock in the morning, near Vaughn, New Mexico, which isn't too far from Roswell, to check his load. All of a sudden, he feels like the hair on his back of the neck is standing up, on his arms is standing up. He looks up and he sees this huge triangular craft. Slow. Then his truck turns off. His headlights turn off, and he's freaked out. He's got no power. He can't see anything. So he said, well, I'll go start one of the cars on the back of the truck and get out of here and get help. The car wouldn't start. Headlights wouldn't come on. And then all of a sudden, this craft reverses direction. The headlights come back on. His flashlight starts working. Mm -hmm. He gets in his truck, starts his truck, gets out of there, and he drives to El Paso, which is quite a few miles away. And here's where the interesting thing is. All of the clocks lost 13 minutes, including his watch. The only clock, and this is how he knows it, he had a wind-up clock in his sleeper in his truck that kept the correct time. So everything stopped for 13 minutes. And I think these things not, you know, maybe it's not only electromagnetic energy. I think it's time distortion. That's the question that I was going to ask you. So right here in the last two minutes... It, it it would go something like this. On the one hand, you can say that, okay, there is – was his truck on? Was his engine in the truck – was the diesel engine running when he saw the craft? Yes. Did the and diesel engine go off? Yes, it did. And diesel engines do not use spark. They pre-ignite. Okay, now, did the diesel engine come on by itself when the craft left or did he have to restart? I believe he had to restart it. Okay, because I I've, heard, 
Yeah. Because I've heard stories about police cars that were tracking UFOs, and when they flew overhead, in one was in Middle uh, Liberty Township, Ohio, where the engine turned off. Right. And then it came back on again when the craft left. So it bothered me about that is that gasoline engines don't come on by themselves. So as opposed to static electricity shutting down the spark of the engine, which would explain the diesel, right, because they don't use spark, Mm -hmm. the the question to me would be why would an engine restart if you don't start it after it's been shut down? Mm -hmm. So my theory was the same as yours. It isn't an electrical distortion field. It's a temporal distortion field. I I believe believe that too. I mean, if they're a high energy process, high electromagnetic process, you know, or if they're coming from other dimensions or whatever, I mean, if they're riding a gravity wave or who knows, you know, what they're doing, they're going to distort time. I mean, Einstein's theory of relativity plainly states that. I mean, you, you get heavy energy field or gravity, it's going to, it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to bend space and time. And so, and so one of my theories is that just like ancient sailing ancient, just like the old time sailing ships would ride the tides and ride the winds, interstellar craft don't have to use that exotic stuff if they're able to ride the gravitational and space-time waves across the universe. Right. They're already starting to detect gravity waves. We just detected one a few months ago. Right. And, you know, getting back to my meteorological background, you know, I mean, weather forecasting is not totally accurate. I mean, anybody knows that. And one of the reasons that some meteorologists believe that is because of gravity waves. We, we can't factor gravity waves into the models, and the gravity waves are, are affecting weather. Well, and, can, can you see their effect, if you, even if you can't see them? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, th- it's theoretical, but, you know, they, we can't model them, and, and they would affect weather, yes. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, just, just what we're talking about. I mean, if you're, fe- if you're bending space and time, you're going to affect the weather, and then... And then also, we talked about a little while ago about clouds and stuff showing up. I mean, you know, that, that, that's affecting, you know, what we meteorologists would call microclimate, you know, not on a large right. scale, but nonetheless affecting, affecting the climate on a smaller scale. So, you well, know. One, I, uh, I have one last, one last, I should have brought him up earlier, Wilhelm, Wilhelm Reich. Do you believe anything that he's written about? The very, Oregon. Oregon, the stuff we've been talking about. That he 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 found something in the atmosphere, um, and was able to harness it with his own machinery. Do you know about him much, Wilhelm Reich? I I know the name, but I don't know <clears throat> a, a lot about it. Well, uh, you you should check it out, and and then the next time you you come back to visit us again, you can we can say, well, so what did you think of that guy, Reich? And then you yeah, I I the name rings a bell, but off the top of my I know that. There was a gentleman in Canada, but I don't think that was Wilhelm Wright that that built some, you know, anti gravity. Uh, no, this is no, this is different. Uh, Reich well, was one of Freud's is, students, and he basically well, he broke died off. in jail, I believe, because his um, he basically created an orgone box that you would go into, and I believe on I believe you would have an orgasm, and so he it was, was it was it was a mess. Nice. Uh, yeah. uh, in any event, well, that sounds like something that Freud would come up with. Oh yeah, Freud would love that. 
Uh, okay, so we are out of time. It's actually after midnight, and I, and I want to thank Bill Puckett, our guest, for being with us and talking about um, Nephi and Stevensville and Radar and, and – um, Basically, some very exotic UFO information. And so as we, as we close up, I want to say that next week we're going to have um, Alfred Go Rightly as our guest. Okay, good. And in speaking, and we have a we have some great folks in the chat, and Benjamin just said that he's got an Oregon, I don't know whether he's telling the truth or not, Oregon accumulator. It makes him feel much better. So, um, you know, again, there you we go. have to do a show on Reich and Peter Yeah, we Robbins probably will. No Maybe we can invite Peter Robbins, yeah, who was studying him. Okay, so uh, thank you, Bill Puckett. We and thank you everybody for staying for um, listening in tonight. We are your co-host, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Burns at good night. Saying good night, good night, Bill. Good night, Angel. Oh, yeah. Good and, night, and, Chris. Uh, wait, Bill. Your website is www.ufosnw.com, and I have all these categories mm-hmm. that people can go and you know my data is slice and dice. You got. Mm-hmm. You got uh, pilot sightings. You got witness audio recordings, photos, videos, uh, unidentified radar detects, uh, top cases. Job. It's a good job. Yeah, it really is a good website. I mean, you've really done a great job on it. And so, everybody from the banks of Primrose Creek on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network, we are your co-hosts. Saying, see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.